What up, world? Welcome to episode eight of the Black and White Theology Podcast. I am Noah Philippiak here with Tyler St. Clair. We what are up, no? we are your El Fudge Elfin Cookies. I don't know what those are. Yeah, you do. The little stripe cookies? No, the well those those are made by the same company because okay. I I had to Google image it to make sure that I was saying the right thing. No, the little elf cookies. Come on, don't tell me only white people eat these. They they're like Oreos except they're in the shape the shape of the the Keebler elf and and they have chocolate oh. in the middle and each cookie on the outside is vanilla. They're beautiful. I'm I I don't know what that is. Somebody please mail Tyler <laughs> some EL fudge cookies. I live in a, I, I live in a food desert. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, EL fudge elfwitch they're called. They are uh, oh. it's very high end organic. Oh, uh, see, lo- that's why I don't local, know that's what you know, that's they, I don't know what that is. They're not going to make it to the food desert. No, oh. I think I think EL fudge elfwitches are the exact opposite of local and organic so well you i i don't think my area is necessarily a food desert anymore because we just uh got a myers built here a couple years ago well there you go after that there you go they are they are delicious uh if i could uh, i'd send you a picture of them here on the brand new skype but it's i hate it when things update like skype just updated gmail just updated and i never know where anything is and it's annoying, and I like to complain about it. Well, yes, I got yeah. a good book on white fragility for you to read. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's titled "White Fragility." That's a good video out there. Remember that? Oh, uh, uh, I sent that to a couple of friends, and they didn't—they didn't find it as funny as I did. <laughs> and yeah. they shall they shall be they shall remain nameless. The little. The little, yeah, send, I gotta look at send that to me again. That little uh, it was like a little uh, work. Yeah, little, uh, it was it uh, was set yeah. up like a nineteen ninety VHS tape was like how they set up. Oh, that was uh, like eighty man. That yeah, was it, it was late eighty. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. It so. was amazing. I had a couple of my um, friends of Anglo descent did not find that as humorous as I did. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well. We are not going to put that in the show notes because we want people to still subscribe to our show and listen yeah, to it yeah, yeah. and everything. But what I do want to do is I, I forget to do this, but I want to give a shout out to James Garden and a, another thanks for giving us the beats that we use for our theme music on the podcast. You can find James Garden's music at James Garden. It's D-I-N at the end. And honestly, he's one of my favorite artists. He's based here in Lansing. So I encourage you to check him out. So thank you, James. With that, we have a lot of mail in our mailbag. So we are going to get to our mailbag. Mail time. All right. To mail the show, you can do so. BWTheology at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at BW Theology. And man, we have some great listeners, Tyler. We told them Amazing. We, needed, we needed mail. We got mail. Look at God. Wow. There's some theology right there. 
we named it and we claimed it. <laughs> I, I, I actually blabbed it and grabbed it, so, you know. <laughs> uh, the first one here, this is from Pastor Myson Crosswhite. He says, uh, it's a little long. I'm going to abbreviate it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. He says, I was listening to the podcast regarding the pastor in Birmingham. And Tyler, give us a five-second update on that story for those who didn't hear last week's episode. There is a pastor in probably late 50s, mid-60s in Birmingham, Alabama, black pastor. And he is not here for Church in the Highlands moving into the black neighborhood. Um, He views it as um, colonization. Um... And he views it as tokenism because they're sending a black a black uh, pastor to kind of plant uh, to pastor this uh, campus. Um, and he views it as them putting this church there because they don't want the black people in their neighborhood to go out in the white suburban uh, community. And his thing is, since whites had uh, deserted and left the inner city, and and his phrase was, "Don't want to be our neighbors," you know, why are you coming back now? And he said that black people should not attend white churches. He, put he that definitely up. did say that. Yeah, I think that was on his church sign. <laughs> that so, definitely was on the church <laughs> sign. <laughs> so that was episode seven of our podcast. We, we uh, played that interview and talked a bit about it. Okay. Uh, the pastor was not an actual guest on our podcast. Now, that'd be something. Oh, <laughs> I'd love that. Oh, <laughs> do it, Lord. So... Uh, Pastor Meissen is referring to that story, and he says, As an African-American man, I see his point on many fronts and agree with much, if not all, that Pastor Tyler said. I would love to offer a suggestion to predominantly white churches who feel the desire or pull to plant in predominantly African-American communities. Partner with a small or established church. Instead of planting... Instead of planting partner to assist, care, help, and hone the ministries in the area. The truth is that many churches that are middling are doing so because of resources. If a church Mm -hmm. is looking to plant, they typically have resources to do so, and those resources that are being brought into the community can oftentimes be uh, printed in the better, put in the uh, better and more knowledgeable direction by those who are already serving that community. As churches, we are too often focused on building our kingdom and not on building God's kingdom. Partnerships and mergers make much more sense for those churches seeking to assist, plant, and minister in areas that are not their primary crowd, oftentimes are doing so to just have their name on the building and the ability on the website to say multi-location. I would love to see more integrated churches with a rainbow of ethnicities, but it is often difficult, especially for African-American pastors, to build multi-ethnic churches for the simple fact that many times others are not willing to follow, serve under, or be led by a black pastor. Mm. Uh, There are historical and racial reasons for this, but that would make this email too expansive. (laughs) But to end, perhaps the best method is partnerships and mergers. Keep recording. You guys do a great job. Thank you, Pastor Meissen. My man. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't want that email to get to be too expansive, you know. Oh, shots fired. Um, <laughs> I love you, Pastor Meissen. I'm sorry. 
I just Listen, had, I don't, that, you know, yeah. I, I, he didn't say one thing that I didn't agree with. <laughs> I agree with everything he said. Um, I often, I often say that the reason that there is a cornerstone church is that I, I lost count. Uh, we have over 17 partnering churches that partner with us financially, support us with resources, um, giving us kids ministry stuff, curriculum, uh, send volunteers. I mean, we, we have churches that uh, have a burden for Detroit, have a burden for our neighborhood, but they um, support not by coming in and saying, we're going to plant a church. They said, you know, they support us. They support other churches in the city. So um, I, I'm seeing more and more of this um, partnership, cross-cultural partnerships. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, I love it, man. I, I love it. And I, I think that um, just practically speaking on that, it needs to be like clear roles defined, clear uh, boundaries defined when doing when doing partnerships. Um I'm very open with churches that that we that we partner with that this is how we do ministry. This is our vision. This is what we think is helpful. This is what we think is harmful. This is what we think would uh, actually alienate and um, push people in our community away. And this is what would endear them. So um, it's not just like sending a check and sending money. There needs to be conversations had like, you know, this is what the partnership looks like. This is what the partnership will entail. And um, this is the best way uh, that we can serve this community. And it's 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 difficult to have those conversations because a lot of times um, and I haven't had much of this experience, but I've seen churches want to help um, suburban churches want to help and. They think it's just, you know, sending money or they think it's here. We're going to come to your community and we're going to do this. And that's that's not how it works, because um, what works in your community may not work in my community. Uh, so, yeah, it, 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 it starts with having conversations and clarities, roles defined, boundaries. Um, and I, I think that it could be something that's extremely fruitful. The Holy Spirit's telling me I need to repent to Pastor Meissen for saying his email was too expansive. So, I'm sorry, brother. I don't think it was too expansive. Because we do podcasts that are an hour and a half long, so I don't think <laughs> we have much room to talk. Um, let me be the wet blanket of reality and uh, maybe even... That's usually my job. When, you know... My, what do you call it? It's like a pendulum. When when I start, I, and I mentioned this w with the pastor from Birmingham's talk last episode, how when I began this work, really, it was 2008 when I read Divided by Faith and was taking a class, a multicultural ministry class, and that began my zeal for multi-ethnic ministry and multi-ethnic church. And, you know, there's a pendulum often with youthful, naive, idealistic zeal. Mm -hmm. You jump in, and I'm the type of person, I mean, I planted a church, I've always been this type of person that says, ready, fire, aim, and if God wants it to happen, by all means, you know, do it. Like, it's gonna, you know, this big faith, kind of big risk sort of thing. And then you end up, 
you know, getting hurt and burned and, and, you know, you fail and you realize there's a lot of pride wrapped up in that as well and these sorts of mm -hmm. things. And, and some of it is it's a very fallen world and things are not ideal and there's real personalities involved in people and culture. And uh, I, I've said this, I don't know if I've said this, I think I've said this on this podcast, but I've, I'm realizing that culture is the strongest force in the universe outside of God himself, right? So culture just makes people the people that they are. That could be your ethnic culture. It can be your family culture. Mm -hmm. And they're just, they, it gives us these values, right, that we have. So on, on 10 years in, I'm, I'm not giving up on this vision and mission. But when I, sometimes an email like this, usually it's the it's the white side that's very idealistic right and i think often in these race conversations it includes like the anti-racism trainings that i've i've went to which are extensive it's like we we aren't able to have really real conversations about okay if we went to do this what would it look like and what would mm -hmm. happen so you can talk about like mergers for example um let me pose some questions. So, Tyler, you've planted a church, but you've planted through Acts 29, which mm -hmm. is a predominantly white organization. Mm -hmm. And within Acts 29, there would be very stringent uh, filters on your theology, right? So they're, mm -hmm. they're not going to bring you on as a planter unless you meet their sort of theological requirements. And so absolutely for a... Uh, in some ways for you going to white churches that are familiar with acts 29 it's this major advantage of like mm -hmm. okay i know this guy theologically is sound um and that's sort of a f first priority for any sort of partnership is you can if you try to do a merger or a partnership based on multi-ethnicity but if you don't align theologically Mm -hmm. you're 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 asking for trouble really you're, oh absolutely um you're and then what happens is your theological disagreement so if you have let's say a pentecostal black church and you have a non-pentecostal white church and you meet and you become friends and say we're gonna do we're gonna do what pastor meissen is saying in his mm -hmm. e his email here mm -hmm. you know we're gonna merge or partner or whatever and then down the road there's these scriptural theological disagreements over Pentecostalism versus non-Pentecostalism, whatever that would be called. Or extreme Pentecostalism. Sure, yeah. And, you know, but there's, and there's a gamut there. And, but my point right. is just bringing that up as one example. Shoot, it could mm -hmm. be Calvinism, Arminianism. It could, could be, be complementarianism. Complementarianism, egalitarianism, exactly. Mm -hmm. There's so many things it could be. It could be a bunch of these things. Um, and, and so what it ends up being is it becomes a... What, what really is a theological issue becomes a race issue. And, and so then the, the black church is saying, well, the white church doesn't want to follow me because I'm black. And the white church is saying, no, I don't want to follow you because you're Pentecostal or whatever it might be, right? Mm -hmm. And so how, here's my question. How does a pastor, like let's say there were a black pastor that's in a black denomination mm -hmm. in, a, in an inner city setting, whether it was Birmingham or Detroit or maybe right. even Lansing. Mm-hmm. How do you have like, hmm, I think, how, how does a white church, and, and for some they would say, oh, that white guy, he just cares too much about theology. But 
I think the Bible cares a lot about theology too, and very I very much so. I think practically, if we don't agree theologically, we're just fooling ourselves that like our friendship or quote unquote Jesus or quote the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. would kind of smooth over all of our theological differences. So. How do you do this without sitting down with somebody? Like, let's say Pastor Meissen was a pastor in an inner city mm-hmm. church, and I've never met him before. And it's like, it's almost like Christian mingle, right? For white and black pastors to say, okay, oh, Lord. you got to grill each other theologically, right? But when you yeah. go to do that, the response often is, whoa, like, it's like we can't start our relationship out by a theological final exam, even though. I don't know. I think you kind of do if you're you planning yeah. to talk about mergers and partnerships and these kind of things, right? Definitely. Um, and I, I think there's some gr- there's grace and there's variance in that as well. Um, so I would consider myself, like theologically, um, there's not a real nice, neat box to put myself in. But I would say I'm Reformed, Baptistic. Um, and with the uh, emphasis on the Holy Spirit, I'm a continuist. I'm not, I'm not a cessationist, um, but I have friends who are cessationists. They believe that, you know, the gifts of the Spirit are not for us today. Uh, we have supporting churches that are, we have three supporting churches that are um, Presbyterian. We don't baptize babies at our church at Cornerstone, but they baptize babies. Um, so what we, what I've done is I have those theological conversations. Like this is where I land theologically on the Holy spirit, women in ministry, uh, whatever. And we talk about that. And, and, and if, and if there, if the hurdles are too big to leap over, um, we just say, Hey, I love you as a brother, but maybe this isn't the best for us. The best, um, is, isn't the best for us to work together in a, um, long-term capacity i mean but i've I've had those conversations with people um dan boffman uh, who you know who is my co-pastor the first thing we did because he said i want to be a part of a church you know i like what you're doing the first thing we did is we sat down like three times and just hashed out what we believed Mm -hmm. theologically and we basically found out that we landed the same place um when i did my residency at restore i knew where mike and cleet uh were at theologically so I, i think theology is extremely important um, but also as, as, as not as important secondary is, uh, philosophy, uh, philosophy of ministry. How, how, how do you, you know, what is, how, um, do you plan on fulfilling the great commission? You know? So, yeah, what I've done and I've sat down and I've hashed the theology out with partner churches and, uh, potential co-labors and saying, okay, this is how I feel that the Lord has, uh, equipped me and um, equipped our church to fulfill the great commission uh, and the great commandment. So uh, yeah, we, we have those conversations and, and there, and there have been a couple conversations that we like, you know what, you know, I, I love you as a brother, but I, I, we, we just, you know, long-term this probably would be more problematic if we thought a long-term partnership would work. Um, so let's just uh, shake hands and, be friends and be cordial and you know, keep it moving. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, definitely it, we, we, you know, definitely it's important to have those conversations. And I, I want to say for the record. And so, uh, 
Pastor Meissen hears this as well. I love, I love his email, I, I, and I agree with it. I really, really do. I think that is the approach that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just want to be really, like, I, th- I think we need to, I want to be helpful and practical as well mm-hmm. to both somebody that would be on the black side of that equation or mm-hmm. on the white side of that equation. So if you are on the black side of that equation and you know your Pentecostal and your theology, you would want to reach out to white Pentecostal churches, I think, to do that type of partnership with that that's one point i want to make and the second one is this is and correct me if i'm wrong on this tyler but it seems like it's more likely if uh for some of the okay i i would say this there's 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 two types of churches whether it's black or white you have churches that are you know in a denomination and nowadays some of these church planting networks are denominations Mm-hmm. Sometimes they act as if they're denominations. They, they kind of serve the same function as a denomination, right. whether they te- technically are or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have others who just start churches like on their own, right? Just kind of randomly, they start churches on their own, where it's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, I've I've got my family or the couple people in my living room or whatever, and I'm just going to go start this church and start this thing up." And I think that that's more common in the black community than it is the yeah. white community to yeah. do mm-hmm. to just start one randomly on your own. It happens in the white community. It's not always bad. I'm not saying it's always bad, but, um, there is a, I think we just need to be realistic to say that like, just because there's a black church in my urban neighborhood. And like, for example, in my neighborhood, there's two black churches in my neighborhood, um, that are very small and I, I don't know much about them. Now I could, have a conversation with those pastors, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid to because here's why: uh, if I'll, and I'll and I'll say this, uh, maybe you know I, I tend to be overly transparent and vulnerable to say my assumption is that they just kind of started these churches on their own. You know, they're very mm-hmm. small churches, and um, that theologically we would not align. That would be my mm-hmm. assumption, right? There's not mm-hmm. a there's not a reason for me to think we would align theologically. There's not a denominational right. label on their sign that would make me think that. In fact, I think one of them says apostolic on it. Um, well, there's that. Which would tell me <laughs> we do not align, right? I, would, I know off the oh, bat yeah. we do not align. So mm-hmm. if I were to say, hey, I'm a pastor. I live in the neighborhood. I would love to partner with you guys. Let's get coffee together, uh, which getting coffee is a, is a white, you know, very white term anyway. It but. definitely is. <laughs> But we have that first discussion, and it's this mm-hmm. theological discussion, and I realize not only do we not align together, this guy feels like I'm really judging him, right? Because right. I'm realizing, like, okay, we don't align biblically, and for whatever reason that might be, it could just be the way we were both raised. It could be that there hasn't been any formal theological education and so there's, he's kind of just doing what he's always known and whatever. And I'm not trying to demonize that. But I, at the end of the conversation, I realized, like, okay, this is not somebody I want to partner with. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, it's kind of awkward. Now I'm, now I'm this, like, judgmental white guy. It would have been easier if I'd never had this conversation. So right. I, I guess that's what I'm bringing up is it's, mm-hmm. not as, it's not as cut and dry and easy to just – Oh, absolutely. We, yeah. we shouldn't assume – that we would have alignment with all of these churches, especially I think people like you and I, Tyler, who this is a th- podcast about theology. Like we care 
about theology. We think that mm-hmm. there is right and wrong theology. That's one of the Absolutely. reasons the show is called Black and White. Like some things are black and white, uh, some are gray, but there's got to be alignment. And some people, honestly, there's pastors. I know tons of pastors who do not care at all about theology. Oh, and yeah. So butts, they, and see, butts, butts, buildings, and budgets. They would look at us even more than that. I think I'm talking about pastors who would just say, like, the idea of theology is condescending and judgmental in and of itself. Like, as long as mm. you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit— you can kind of just get up and say whatever you want about the Bible, and it's all heretical, like the stuff they're yeah. saying. Yeah. But it's like, if you call me out for heretical, you're divisive. Like, you're not loving. You're not You're not being my brother in Christ. So we have to know that there's two types of ways of approaching mm-hmm. theology in and of itself. So if you come from the camp where you care about the theology side of it, it's not as easy to just kind of go to the yellow pages and pick this random church whether it's black or white but in this case we're talking about this urban black church and just assume we could get married together because we believe in doing multicultural ministry together yeah yeah i mean i agree with that um i mean and there's also levels there's also levels of partnership you know that's a good point i don't the most intimate relationship in my in my life is my is my wife but I also have close friends. I have yeah. friends. I have acquaintances. I have cousins that I see once or twice, usually when someone dies or at a family reunion. Yeah. Um, and and I have people who just know me. Yeah. So um, partnership with a church in your neighborhood, you know, doesn't doesn't mean you're necessarily married to them. It means, you know, you you have a joint service. Po- and I'm not saying you have to. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to. But I'm saying it could be as simple as we have a joint service together um, just for unity and solidarity in our community. Something like that, you know. And and I'm sure that there's going to be theological differences. But, you know, and and, uh, a friend of mine's church, um, they're a predominantly white church. um, And and what they do is they have a joint service um, for um, three or four different churches in their city. A couple are, are Black Baptists, a couple are United Methodists, whatever, and they just get together. Everybody's choir or praise team sings a song, and it's just something. Hey, we're together. We're Christians. We live in the same community. You know, let's represent Jesus well, kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, you, it could be something as minimal as that, or or not at all. Um, it, it just depends on if you feel that. Uh, like if of course if someone is a, a heretic, you just politely say, well, you know, mm-hmm. you know, thanks for thanks for meeting and you know praying for you guys and blah 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 whoop 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 and keep it moving. But um, yeah, it's just wisdom, man. Using wisdom and discernment and realizing that you know you're gonna be you're gonna be demonized and uh, viewed a certain way by other people anyway because humans just suck and judge others i've I've been i've been i've been called um i've been called a cultural marxist i've been i've i've been told that i i'm racist toward white people and i hate white people and i've been called uncle time by black people yeah so it's just kind (laughs) of it's what humans do man if, if i don't like something you do i'm gonna put a label on you because i suck and i think you suck that's just kind of that's our thing that's the human thing so yeah um I'm, there's churches that there's many churches that 
we don't align with and we don't partner with uh, black churches in my community, in my neighborhood, because I just I, can't, I don't rock with them theologically. Right. Um, you know, just because we black don't mean we have the same theology. You know, they come with that hyper, you know, someone sneeze and they got a word from the Lord and everyone's a pastor, everyone's a minister, nobody's been trained, nobody's been qualified, nobody's been verified, no one knows the Bible, everybody's speaking in tongues, speaking words of prophesy and speaking word faith stuff. I've, got, I've seen it all. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to rush to do anything with these people. You know, if I meet their pastor and in the community and we have a, a cordial conversation, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's as far as that goes, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not rocking with them. I'm not doing nothing with them. Yeah. And I think you said that really well. And in my experience, if I were to say, what you just said about what you just said about the prophylai and all that stuff, it would be labeled racist pretty immediately. It would be labeled mm-hmm. racist by uh, certain individuals in the black community. And so mm-hmm. that's what, that's where it gets to be tricky. Right. Uh, but what I like, what I think is really helpful, what you talked about is the family where you have your, your cousins, you see what at a funeral and then you have your wife, right. Who you're married to. And I think where a, a mm-hmm. lot a lot of hurt comes into play on the black side and on the white side of things is when we get married to someone prematurely. And <laughs> so it's we just get hyped up on this idea that like the number one need and value in the Bible and in God's kingdom. And I've been here like I'm coming out of this. So it's like. Even in the, yeah. even my progression on the you know as you if you've listened to like stuff I said a couple of years ago or blogged about to today it's like I'm in this weird you know kind of coming out of this phase where you um, you think that multiculturalism because it is biblical and this is God's ideal for the church we can tend to think I've I've tended to think it's the only thing that matters like multiculturalism or bust. And if you if you mm-hmm. approach multicultural church that way, multiculturalism or bust, uh, bust being or failure. Like if you don't accomplish that, you're nothing. So everything right. else gets sacrificed away and is not important. And that's the only thing that's important. What will happen is you end up really hurting a lot of people and you, you hurt people that like you you could have been just really good, normal friends with someone who's like a genuine Christian and you you could have been normal friends with them like in our town there we have these pastor luncheons that people from all spectrums come from theologically if we were to have a theological debate at those things uh <laughs> it would be it'd get ugly right like uh but we come together we're friends we we pray you know we encourage each other we just don't we we know there's all those disagreements there and we don't get into that stuff now if i were to try to merge churches with one of those random friends of mine who are at that meeting that'd be a Mm -hmm. really bad idea and it would end up really destroying potentially that friendship that we have and and so that would be my caution to anybody uh like pastor meissen's email who's who's looking at partnering or uh merging that you just have to use that wisdom to know okay it's like dating someone you you go on a date but don't have in your mind you're going to get married to that person Mm-hmm. on the first date you you have to really take it slow uh and no honestly that that old line let's just be friends 
like sometimes yeah that's got to be the line and and i can be friends with tons of people and i want to make that clear too as we talk about black and white theology and there's right theology and wrong theology i can be friends with people that i think have wrong theology we can still be friends Uh, what'd you say I said, that's difficult for me <laughs> but yeah, it, but there's yeah. friendship where like if you see them at you're not going to like walk in the other direction or something like you, yeah. you, <laughs> you you still i mean you're friends with non-believers like you're you're friends with people that you but don't see, i actually have i actually i've found and this is something i i struggle with i've actually found myself being a zillion times more gracious to non-believers yeah than I am Christians who have poor theology well, let or, me, let me add the or race, poor practice. Let me add the race component to it. Okay, if I have a black pastor friend and mm-hmm. we disagree on theology, mm-hmm. I can be friends with him still. Yeah. And I say the race component to it because if I say my friendship will only be based on my theological agreement with you, then it does become a race issue. It becomes a like, well, this is you know you're you're treating me this way because i'm holding a black theological view and you're holding a white theological view right and so mm-hmm. there comes a point where you just ha- fr- from the white perspective which has always been the dominant perspective and the you know and in the history of the church has kicked the blacks out of the church and all this sort of thing to say mm-hmm. look we can be friends and now friendship i use loosely right like friendship right. nowadays you can be a facebook friend with someone that you really don't spend any actual time with. I mean, that friendship is going to be different. I, I might sit by them at this luncheon. We eat lunch together, and that's that's our friendship, right? That's, that's it. Um, <laughs> I have other friends that I'm going to be closer friends with, right. but still, when I see that friend, I'm going to give them a hug. That The friend I don't disagree with or that I don't agree with theologically, we're still going to hug. We're going to, um, you know, just we're in the same community where you know i don't know there's we're not enemies i mean that's that's for sure but if if you try to merge churches with someone like that or do a partnership with someone like that or some of the the good ideas from pastor meissen's email you just mm-hmm. you don't want to do that until you have re- are able to have really honest conversations and if that person yeah. isn't willing to have those honest conversations about theology then you know right off the bat that that's not a person you should be taking further steps with. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that one hundred percent. It's just, yeah, it, it's it's hard. I don't know why. I if if you're a Christian, and you just have really poor theology, I you know I I expect unbelievers to say, think, and do ridiculous, uh, damnable things. <laughs> but yeah, I just have a hard time with that. I mean, we I don't we have some part and I we have some partnerships with churches that. There are some theological variants, not great, um, but I think that's also the beautiful thing about being in a network denomination because, like, right off the bat, people, you know, I don't have to, like, if I if I start a um, conversation with a pastor that's an actually not, I already know, <laughs> I know, I know where you land, um, I know where you land theologically. I'm not, you know, so I, I'm not gonna go. Um, intentionally seeking partnerships to do things with the um, egalitarian church around the corner where the woman is the pastor and the husband is the first gentleman. You know, like we literally have that. You know, mm-hmm. what I'm I don't even know what a first gentleman is. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna engage with that because I know first conversation. 
it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be an issue right off the right. top. So yeah, it's it's, just, it's about wisdom, wisdom, and because it can become more of a distraction and a hindrance to the gospel and the mission than anything. Now you have discourse. Now you have strife. Now you have um, unwarranted friction when it could have just been a, you know, we're in the same community. You know, we'll have a cookout together, a church picnic together. We'll have a joint concert together and kept it moving. You know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I agree. Hopefully that's helpful to everybody. Uh, we had another great question we'll save for next time from Matthew <laughs> Stone about does God hate people based on Romans 9. So that mm -hmm. will be a little teaser for next episode. If you would like to send questions in to our mailbag, please do so. BWTheology at gmail.com or on Twitter at BWTheology. So today we are finishing up the tulip as our topic of the day. Uh, go back through our last episodes and you will find the five points of Calvinism are things that we decided to start our podcast off with as a, found, a theological foundation. After this, we will spread our wings a little bit more on some various other topics that people want to hear about. Today, the P of the tulip is perseverance of the saints. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because as I was reading the uh, John Piper article that I've been referencing, which is just a whole bunch of scripture that he lists out for each of these, this perseverance of the saints actually is different than I thought it was because I'm not reformed. I've never really studied this stuff. And so uh, I I had always thought... Well, you're not a Christian. Well, obviously, I know from you, you only are friends with people that agree with everything that you agree with theologically. So At least 98%. Now I know why you blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> so so uh, he starts out with definition of perseverance from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Tyler, well I, know, I know you love reading long, boring confessions of faith wow, on the podcast wow, that put everybody wow. to sleep. So, uh, I, I love, I'm reading the canon of Dorders right now. Do so. you... <laughs> We should change the name of this podcast to Black and White Theology, subtitle, where, pod, where Tyler reads really long, boring confessionals that put everyone to sleep. From old, dead white men. Yeah. Would you like to read something that's really boring, or would no, you I'm like gonna, me to? I'm just going to read a, a portion. Uh, you can read the Westminster. And uh, so the Canon of Dort, I, I, I actually am going to skip a, a part of it because it's, it's mad long. It said, God is faithful, merciful, uh, strengthening them and the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them until the end. So how I how I view perseverance of the saints, it's actually God persevering on our behalf. Um, God in his work of sanctification, God in his, uh, his, his God holding us, God preserving us. God, uh, I can't believe I can't remember. I believe it's Ephesians two or three we talked about how we're sealed by the spirit so um we will preserve we will hold on we will make it to the finish line uh we will eventually be glorified as, as roman romans 8 talks about but it's because of god it's not because we're persevering or we're striving um and actually i, I read the scripture yesterday um i'm working on my sermon for sunday ephesians uh, 1 13 says the google, one, the google machine 
Okay, the Google machine. Um, the sealed by the Holy Spirit one. Gotcha. Thank you. So, uh, John 17. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm trying. Uh, I lost it. John 17. Jesus talks about. Um, Jesus talks. About, oh, no. John 10. My bad. Um, Jesus talks about Sounds how good, he's, he's the good shepherd and how we can't be snatched out of his hands. Yeah. Uh, give me. Yeah. John 10. Verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So um, I think that many get tripped up on perseverance of the saints because they think it's we're preserving or we're holding on or, um, Oh no, if you sin so much, you're going to lose your salvation. You won't be able to make the finish line. It's, it's actually, uh, God by his grace, holding us, sanctifying us and preserving us and him bringing us safely home. So speaking of being tripped up by this one, mm-hmm. I, as I as I went through this, um, so yeah, there's things I'm tripped up by, and so like what you read, John 10:27 is sort of the classic verse I've always heard for you can't lose your salvation, right? Once, mm-hmm. so I grew up in a Baptist church that was funny because it was very Arminian, I think, in the way we approach salvation, but <laughs> there's this hardcore uh, phrase used: once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. And there's all it's interesting to talk about this subject because there's all these muddled up doctrines kind of in it. So, for example, it was a church that believed you got saved by praying the prayer. So we would do like vacation Bible school and the teenagers, which would have been me. You know, we would be the camp counselors for the little kids like first grade through fifth grade. And we would we'd have our Bible time and in our small group. And I remember you would you would ask the kids like and this is basically how I was led to the Lord when I was four years old. And, and I, and, and I said to the kids basically like, Hey, God wants us to be in heaven with him. He died on mm-hmm. the cross. We can be with heaven it, with him. If we don't ask him to forgive us of our sins, the, the old Baptist lines that aren't in the Bible anywhere, like ask him to come into your heart, uh, then you'll go to hell. And I, and I said, <laughs> you know, raise your hand if you, if you want to go to hell, right? No, everybody, you know, I think I had them bow their heads and close their eyes. Raise your hand if you want to go to, if you don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. So no, I don't think anybody. So except, so they raise their hand. Now, now, if you don't want to go to hell, pray this prayer with me. And you just repeat this prayer. And it's a prayer that asks Jesus to forgive you of your sins, come in your heart, you know, et cetera. And, and many that have grown up in, in that type of evangelical church know what I'm talking about. So, that's potentially a whole nother subject of like, what is the gospel itself, right? Because within that gospel, it's not that the Holy Spirit can't actually save people. That's I was actually saved through that, but there's no, it's, it's, it, it divorces. It's a transactional salvation that Mm -hmm. divorces this idea of the gospel from everything Jesus ever taught. So you're not, you're not learning to obey everything he commanded. Uh, you you could really throw out all of Jesus and just pray this prayer, and there's nothing about the kingdom of God. There's nothing about lordship, about Jesus being Lord. There's nothing about repentance, right? It's like a salvation without repentance. So, 
That's a whole mess of bad theology in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But then you, you, you have a pray the prayer salvation, and then you add to it once saved, always saved, which they would get from John 10, 27. And that's what I always thought perseverance of the saints meant when I saw the tulip was, yeah, you, you're saved, you're always going to be saved, sort of like no matter what. And I always wrestle with that because I know of a whole bunch of scriptures who don't say that. And so what I found really interesting, as well as troubling, I will add, and uh, was some of the scriptures in, in Piper's article. So before I read Piper's article, let me read, as promised, some of you are saying, no, read the confession. Read the Westminster Confession of Faith. I, I'm on the edge of my seat for this gripping uh, this gripping document. So let me just read a little bit of it. It's pretty long. Uh, so... They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but mm-hmm. shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. So that sounds kind of like the once saved, always saved stuff. But if you go down, um, it is... It's hard to abbreviate what the Westminster uh, says, but uh, (laughs) there's a point two, there's a point three to it. Um, Let me read any of this. I'm going to skip it. I'm going to go to the scriptures. Okay, so the scriptures that Piper lays out, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 2, highlighting the, I highlighted the word, if you hold fast. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless mm-hmm. you believed in vain. So it's saying, if you don't hold fast to the word I preached, to the gospel, if you don't hold fast to the gospel, then you're not saved. Uh, Colossians 1, 22 is like my favorite verse in the Bible for that we are accepted in Christ. Like when when we receive the gospel, when the Father looks at us, he sees that we are the text says we are holy, we are blameless. The ESV says beyond reproach. The NIV says, um, oh, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but we are holy, without blemish, and mm-hmm. free from accusation is what it says. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's like we are holy without blemish, free from accusation because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did in us. It's the opposite of works-based salvation. It's saying I cannot earn God's favor. I already have his favor. It's like that's Tim Keller's whole thing. Any Tim Keller book you read, that's what you're going to hear. You already have God's approval in Jesus, so don't try to earn it. The whole book of Galatians is written because they were trying to now earn the approval of God that they already had in him. But Mm -hmm. if you stop at verse 22, uh, that's what you get. But then if you go to verse 23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast Mm -hmm. and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So basically it's saying the gospel does approve you, but you have to continue in that faith. Uh, mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 15 says you have to hold fast to that faith. So right. I'll conclude this whole rant with this, and I'll, I'll have another rant, I think, later. But there was uh, and what I, I took a class in undergrad, and my professor was telling us when he was a youth pastor about he was meeting with a parents of a teenager and the teenager had like abandoned their faith right they were living a sinful life and they had rejected jesus as far as even in what they believed in 
Mm -hmm. And the mom reassured my professor and said, "It's no, it's 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 okay." When he was four years old, he prayed to receive Jesus as his savior, and we <laughs> videotaped it, and so we can play that video. Oh wow! And we Seriously. know we know once saved, always hey. saved. Like because uh -huh. no, once he's in the shepherd's hand, nobody can snatch him out of the shepherd's hand. So mm -hmm. the phrase that I came up with, and I'll close my rant with this, is, and also with with then how the reformed and and, and Piper and Keller would would. I think disagree with what I'm going to say. I, I think the scriptures are saying you cannot lose your salvation, but you can leave your salvation. So what I mean is you can't lose it like, oh, where are my car keys? Like one day I just woke up and I wasn't saved because somehow I, I sinned too much or God isn't happy mm -hmm. with me anymore because that would contradict Colossians 1.22, that you are mm -hmm. approved, you're holy without blemish because of what Jesus did. You can't lose it, like misplace it, but you can choose to leave it. And there's there's evidence, and there's a whole bunch more uh, that maybe I'll read and maybe I won't, of people that leave their salvation. I mean, Judas Iscariot would be an example of someone who left his salvation. But you, you have these verses that I just read. You have to hold fast to that mm -hmm. faith. If you one day say, nope, I don't believe this anymore. Nope, I reject Jesus. You're not saved anymore. You've left your salvation. So, Last thing, the Perseverance of the Saints uh, document or uh, tulip would say, then that person was never saved. They were never really saved. That's what Keller or Piper would say or uh, the, these confessions would say. And I, I struggle with that because I yeah. think if, if, you, uh, if you look even at the uh, – I had it open before I got on. Let's see if I still have it open. The Parable of the Sower – let me get it open again. The parable of the sower of Jesus. It's in Matthew mm -hmm. and... 25, I believe. Oh, don't say that on the air. I think you're wrong. Uh, Matthew 13. <laughs> oh, I'm way off. Okay, never mind. Matthew 13. You have the parable of the sower. And... Look at what Jesus says. Okay, he gives the four soils. And I'm not going to read that part. I'm going to read the explanation part. Um... Where is the explanation part? Come on, Bible on my computer. Here's what it means, starting in verse 19. If anyone who hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So that's someone you, you share the gospel with. They don't understand it. They're not saved. Satan took that seed like the bird. He took it away. Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. So they've received the gospel. They've received it with joy. That person got baptized. The whole church is like really excited. But since they have no root, verse 21, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is saying there, they were saved. There was fruit. That seed was growing like it was alive. They received it with joy, but it didn't have root. So it, they fell away. Fell away meaning, meaning they're no longer saved. They don't have that fruit anymore. Last one, verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So you can mm -hmm. maybe argue there that they're saved, 
they're just not fruitful and saved. Mm-hmm. But verse thirty-two, I, w- I think they're I think they're not saved anymore. I would I would say, um, I would read that and say the first three aren't saved at all, um, okay. because Jesus said uh, John. Uh, when he's talking about pruning, is that fifteen? John fifteen, I believe. Yeah, yeah. John fifteen. He says, "Any, any, any tree or any vine that's in me that does not bear fruit, I prune, and I and I cast away." So, I, I think, me personally, when I read that, I, 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 the the um, the second one, just you receive you receive the word with joy. I don't think that that necessarily equates to salvation um i mean i know people who ha- who make false professions of christ <laughs> false professions all of the time sure. you know i mean we had a, a woman that was um in our church and she walked with us for about seven months and then she realized after a while like i'm not really a christian she thought and was baptized mm-hmm. you know she thought she was a christian um but after hearing the gospel seeing uh the gospel in action, she came to the conclusion like, you know, I, I'm not really a Christian. So I would argue that the first three are all uh, unbelievers and uh, only the one who bears the fruit of the gospel um, is a believer. Um, the, the verse that you were referring to, that that um, first John 2... Uh, 18 and 19 children it is the last hour and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming and even now uh, there are many antichrists have come by this we know this is the last hour they went out from us but they did not belong uh, to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us however they went out so that it may be made clear that none of them belong to us so I, I believe that um, that um, we see this every day in our culture. Uh, we see this every day in our world. I, I think that the circumstances of the world, the election, the racial division, all of the, 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 the people who are infatuated with supporting the president and things that he says, oh, oh blah, I can go on and on, are revealing that they thought that they had a um, a Christianity. They thought they had received Christ. They thought many were in the church. Many are in the church. But now it's being revealed that they went out from us. They, they said they were evangelicals. They said they believed in Christ. But they went out from among us, but they never were really with us. Um, I, I see this scripture revealed all of the time. In my context, in the suburban context, in the uh, among rich, among white, that they they have a profession. They said, I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer, blah, 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 on and on and on. But they never were rooted in the gospel. It was just a uh, something that they did. It was an uh, emotional response. They felt guilty one Sunday because they were drunk the, the, the Saturday before, blah, 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 blah. Um, but, you know, um, so I think that many people who we say, quote, lost their salvation or left their salvation are people who never really possessed salvation. They, they had a false profession. Uh, they felt guilty once. Um, they may have thought that they had gospel 
uh, seed planted in their heart, but it really was just something that they did. And it, it wasn't uh, an actual commitment surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. I hear you there, Derek Piper and Keller. <laughs> yeah, hey, man. I, I just wrestle with it. I'm, I'm kind of in the yeah, middle of I that mean... wrestle. Like, I, I get the one side of it that says, you know, God did the saving work. Mm-hmm. But I just, from practical, so if there was somebody that, let's say they were saved for 20 years, somebody who is a pastor, and they are just fruitful in their faith, and then for whatever reason, like doubt creeps up and they're like, man, mm-hmm. I don't believe the Bible anymore. I think I think I got hosed. I think that this is a bunch of myths and a bunch of fairy tales and mm-hmm. Jesus is like Santa Claus and whatever. And, and they they leave their faith. I mean, it's hard for me to say that person was never saved. I mean, for 20 years faithfully. Because I think I'm saved like, I, man, I'm so saved right now today. August I have 24th, my doubts, but okay. I, 2018, I am saved because of Jesus. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, nobody can snatch me out of his hand. But man, I could jump out. Like I could I could just be like, man, whatever. This stuff's a bunch of crap. I'm going to go live a life of sin. Jesus is uh, is like the tooth fairy. And there, and then <laughs> I'm not saved. There's no way that I'm saved. And, 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 and people would say, well, he never was saved. Yeah, right. Like there's nobody in my life for the most part right now that would say, I mean, I'm saved. Like, I'm totally... I, I think I, your wife has uh, concerns, but that's... Fine. I think you can jump out of the of that hand. I think you... you Nobody yeah. can snatch you out of it. The devil cannot snatch you out of it. Uh, even sin cannot snatch you out of it. But I, you, you can jump out. That's... that's, that's I, I At think, this point of my understanding, yeah. I would say that. I... I, I, I um, and, and let me get this straight. I'm also not saying that believers can't go through extended periods of wandering or where they have doubts, uh, where they get ensnared in sin. Absolutely. Um, it's literally every two weeks and there's a pastor falling because of fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. I'm not saying that all of those men aren't saved because you sin, because you fail, because you stumble, because you backslid. That's not what I'm saying. Um, so I mean I kind of I love I love Philippians uh, Philippians one, verse six says um, I am sure and I'm reading out of the CSB that I'm not not the ESV uh, the Christian Standard Bible I love this translation uh, I'm sure of this that he who has started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. But then also chapter two verse twelve says therefore my dear brothers just as you have always obeyed. So now, not only uh, in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there is. So I think Paul is saying that the father has secured you. The father has his hands on you. Romans eight. What can separate us from the love of God? But that doesn't negate the fact that now you still must slay your sin. You still must hold fast. You must crucify the flesh. You must die daily. You must repeat the gospel in your heart and mind every day or you will stumble in sin. I don't th- I don't think that those two things are uh, exclusive. I think I think that they're I think I use this always use this example. It's just a tandem bike. You know, God mm-hmm. is God is rowing. God is leading. But we're not just sitting in the back doing nothing. No, we're holding fast. We're working out our salvation. Um, 
First uh, Corinthians nine, Paul says, "I don't beat the air, but I I I I, I uh, bring my body under discipline. I'm you know I'm I'm going through the process. So God is sanctifying us, and we're sanctifying ourselves, you know, as well. So um, yeah, I I uh, yeah, I, I don't think that someone who has gr- I mean, because we didn't we didn't save ourselves. <laughs> I, I don't think that if if you genuinely that's <laughs> bless your heart. Yeah, I've never seen that. Uh, L E fudge. E L fudge. Elfwitch. Yeah. I just I, I just I'm, dropped that image. I, Skype finally let me. Thank you. I appreciate that. That edified my soul. I'll buy you I, I some next time. Next time I'm in do. Detroit. Please do. Uh, I I don't think that that you, um, if, if that seed of the gospel is truly planted in your heart, I don't think that. She, I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I I, I can't see it. I, I don't. I can't see it. I've I've known many people who uh, thought they were in South, thought they were in a place of salvation, thought they were walking with Jesus, and then you know, even people in clergy say, "Hey, I, I just, you know, I thought I thought I was. I thought I was. I thought I was." And then you look up, and they're somewhere different. I mean, I, they. I, I just view that as someone who was never uh, as John talks about. Mm-hmm. And again, I do believe that believers can stumble and fall and commit adultery, you know, have breakdowns. I, I believe that can happen to Christians. So I'm not saying that if you sin, that means you never were a Christian. So I, I hope that I, I just have... think you were never a Christian. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I hope that um, I have time to get to this because there's another piece for just for. And oh, this and- is... And, and a lot of the verses that John Piper used made no sense to me for his argument. So I, I, I can see where someone could say, okay, wait, what is he saying? Um, yeah, because on one hand, you're saying God preserves us, but then you're saying, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. So I, I could see where the confusion comes into play, but I know that it's it's God holding us, and we're holding on to him holding us. That's just how I view it. So Say that again. God is holding us, and we're holding on to Him as He right. holds on to us. And that's what kind of like that's what yeah. I see in like Colossians one twenty three. That's yeah, that's kind of the idea that I get as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my uh, when I pick up my daughter, you know, and she she wraps her arm around my neck. She thinks she's holding on for dear life, but it's it's really my it's re- I'm really holding her. She she thinks she's doing all the work, but she in a way she is holding on to me. But I'm the one holding on to her, carrying her. So I want to tie like a nice neat bow there because I think that's a great point. But there's scripture that Piper used, and it's not like I've never read these scriptures before, but in the light of the conversation, Perseverance Mm -hmm. of the Saints, they were really jarring and disturbing to me. And if I were to write a letter into the mailbag, I would write about this. And Mm -hmm. so I wonder if I got to go in about 10 minutes. And so this Mm -hmm. might be something we have to talk about as a continuation next episode. But as far as perseverance of the saints go, man, it really made these scriptures really made it sound like uh, if you if you continue, well, some of them just say it right out. If you continue to sin, you're not saved, is is what it says. And I know that, and I'll and I'll give you the exact references here in a minute. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's not true because scripture is not going to contradict itself. And I think mm-hmm. that's always something when we read scripture. The first thing you do is you read it 
in light of other scriptures. Scripture is not going to mm-hmm. contradict itself. I see it as right. la- it layers upon itself. So you have this right. foundation you know to be true. There's a foundation of what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see that in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I see that foundation. I see that foundation in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me get the exact verses here. I think it's verses uh, 2 to 3. Yeah, that would be First uh, Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. These are just foundational verses about what it means to be saved. Paul says, nobody can change this. Nothing you can say or do will change this. Uh, that, mm-hmm. uh, but then you have these, these scriptures that are listed here. I'm going to read a couple of them to you. So Galatians 5, 19 to 21. This is the verses right before the fruit of the Spirit verses. So it lists the deeds of the flesh, and it lists them mm-hmm. out immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, drunkenness, on down the line. Those mm-hmm. who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If mm-hmm. you go to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, very similar. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, etc., drunkards, mm-hmm. will, will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral, impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I know it's getting repetitive, yeah. but the biggest one here, this really... Paul's pretty clear. Get First John, <laughs> though. Look, First John 2, 3 to 6, and then really all of chapter 3. Okay, yeah, so... For real, for real. Uh, 1 John 2, 3 to 6... The one who says, I have come, okay, it says, by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth of God is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Mm -hmm. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks now if mm-hmm. your theology was based purely on these verses right it would be pure legalism let me read one more to you because mm-hmm. this is pure condemnation if this is what you're basing your theology on it says first john right. 3 verse 6 no one who abides in him sins like it don't don't tweet that out right like no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Mm-hmm. Well, I sin. Like, I'm a Christian. Well, I don't. And so. I sin. I actually had a guy at my church, and he got this teaching out of Bethel Church, which yeah. is a place I'm... where there's a lot of heresy being taught. And there was a pastor from Bethel Church who was teaching this message that if you are a Christian, you will mm-hmm. not sin anymore. Now, think about that. That's saying if you sin, you're not a Christian anymore. How yeah. is that possibly being saved by grace or that first or that Colossians 1.22, you are approved wholly without blemish, free from accusation in mm-hmm. Christ alone. So honestly, for me, I'm going to do more study on 1 John 3. I'm going to mm-hmm. do my research. I'm going to do commentaries on it, and I'll have more, I think, next episode uh, to talk about. But I'd, I'd encourage listeners to read first john three as your homework and um maybe send us some thoughts into the mailbag yeah. about it uh, i i so here here's my thing because 
this is why you got to read the read the Bible in the context of the Bible and read it in the context of the chapter. First um, John chapter one verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Well, uh, first, let me let me jump up to verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we con confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say we uh, have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Ver chapter two, uh, little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He, him, he, ugh, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also those of the whole world. So I think when I read 1 John, if, if you, I, I, I view 1 John, I, I view John as talking about people who are practicing sin, people who live in sin, people who have denied the gospel, people who are in full rebellion from God. So he's talking about if you practice sin, if you live in sin, if your life is sin, if you have rejected God, if you if you have re re rejected his word, if you have thumbed your nose, whatever metaphor you want to use, if you do these things, then he's not in you. But if you are a Christian and you fall short, not if, when you fall short, you have an advocate with the Father. You have Christ Jesus. You can go and ask forgiveness. So I, I think John is pretty clear. That's why you got to read it in the, the whole letter, uh, because he straight up says, you know, if you say you if you say you don't sin, you're a liar and you make God's word uh, untrue. We all sin, but when we sin, we can go to Christ. We can go to our advocate. We can ask for forgiveness. But if you are a person who is in full-blown uh, full blown running in opposite direction. I don't care. That's that's um, who I believe Paul is talking about. If you practice these things, drunkenness, uh, homosexual behavior, anger, cursing, if, if this is your life and you want nothing uh, other than that, you have rejected Christ, you have rejected the commands of God, and you if, if this is what you're choosing, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not if you're a Christian and you stumble or you're a Christian and you fall short. That's all of us. But if that's you have rejected, right. then, hey, then you can't enter into the kingdom. And that's where I think even with this article Piper wrote, he goes a little too far using these scriptures, I think, out of context. Very out of to, context. To back of up context. perseverance yeah. of the saints because it gives the idea that yep. if you're sinning, mm -hmm. you're not – you didn't persevere. Yeah. Right, and I exactly. Just, I'm just like yeah. – he wasn't no, that's very not my. That's yeah. not the message of the Bible. That's not the message yeah. of the gospel. He wasn't very. He wasn't very clear in the article. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it wasn't help. That portion wasn't very helpful. He may have got tired when he got to pee. Hey, it's kind of, it's I get tired there. when I have to pee sometimes too. And oh, you, there's you still, that. Okay. You still gotta pee. You gotta. Wow. You gotta persevere. You gotta finish strong. He didn't finish strong with that article, and I love John Piper. <laughs> I love him, but yeah, it wasn't very his. That portion wasn't very helpful. I like making really like almost like t bathroom humor, almost like this isn't really the podcast for that. So I like to almost make a joke about mm. peeing. I almost did that just there. That just, wasn't almost. Yeah, but I I didn't quite go there, but I wanted to. Like the seventh grader inside of me wanted to, and I I st I, I did it, but I didn't do it. So talking about it, I want everyone to know that I I did it, but I didn't really do it. So bless your heart.
Bless my heart. I gotta go. I gotta get my four-year-old to a doctor's appointment. Gotta so, ski daddle. Boom, baby! You have been tulipped. You have been too dipped on the black and white theology podcast. We'd love to get mail from you at BW Theology on Twitter, bwtheology at gmail.com. Until next time, Tyler and I are your fudge brownie that you have to have that glass of milk with. Sometimes you dunk it in and eat it. Dunk? That's the stuff. That's what I'm talking about. We're dunk, baby. We're out. Love, peace, and hair grease.